that good? I do love the man in the middle. <laughs> I love that second song they sang, with all my heart, with all my soul. Whew, that's a good one. It's one of my favorites. If you could take your Bibles tonight, go to uh, Matthew chapter number 13. Matthew chapter number 13 this evening. A lot of stuff going through my mind tonight, but I hope that uh, can bring this together and we all get some help this evening from the Word of God. That's what we're here for. Uh, amen. Let's see here. We'll start reading uh, in verse number 3 of Matthew chapter 13. The Bible says, And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow, and when he sowed some seeds, they fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, forthwith, forthwith when they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth, and when uh, uh, they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, because they had no root, they withered away. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell in, into good ground and brought forth fruit, some an hundredfold, some sixtyfold. And some thirtyfold. And then he tells us this after saying this parable. He says, Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. Let's go ahead and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be in church here tonight. Lord, we recognize, Lord, that when we come to the, the Word of God, Lord, we do it with a sense of sobriety. We do it with a sense of seriousness, Father, and we do it with a sense of hunger, Lord. We know we need something from you. And so as we open up the Bible tonight, I pray, Father, that you would give us something. Lord, we, we know that you can do all things, Father. Your, your power is not hindered, Lord, by uh, the vessel, Father. So I ask, Lord, that you might step through this nothing and do something here tonight. Father, I pray you fill me with the Holy Spirit of God. Put a hedge of protection about my lips and my tongue. Father, I pray for each and every person in here tonight, Father, that, Lord, they'd be looking for something from you. And I pray, Father, that you'd give it to them. Lord, I pray that you edify the church tonight. Pray, Father, that you'd uh, feed the saints. And, Father, we ask you to bless this next few moments in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, you may be seated. He alludes here in Matthew chapter number 13. He's, again, speaking to them in parables. But he's alluding to a, a key principle in the Christian life. Uh, he says here in verse number 8 that other fell on good ground and brought forth fruit some 100-fold, some 60-fold, and some 30-fold. And if there's a principle that is key in the Christian life, that is simply this, that as Christians, as, as people who bear the name of their Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, we should, in fact, in our life, be bearing fruit. Amen. We should be bearing fruit. If you recall, there was a fig tree at one point in time that uh, Jesus Christ happened to pass by a few times and he saw that it had sprung forth and it had grown and it had lots of luscious leaves and the greenery was fantastic, but it brought forth no figs, to which he said, cast it away. Cut it down. It has no value because it has no fruit. Amen. A key principle in the Christian life is not just simply merely to exist and to be here and to be able to be seen, but rather to bear fruit. There's a growing process. There's a need for us tonight to not be comfortable with where we are. There's a need for us tonight not to just accept what we already have, but know that a plant has to continue to bear fruit. In 2 Peter, we're encouraged to add to our faith. Add to our faith virtue and add to our faith uh, uh, knowledge and temperance and patience. Godliness, brotherly kindness, and then charity. And he tells us if these things, if we have these things and they're in us, and he says, and if they abound, we shall not be unfruitful. So he tells us that no matter where we are, we can, in fact, bear fruit. Now listen, I understand uh, when we talk about the world today, and how many, how many sermons do we start with? In the world we live in today, I get the world we live in today, okay? I understand it. 
It's wicked, okay? We have to belabor the point. You can listen to the radio, turn the TV on, drive down the street, and you can have no problem at all accepting the fact that the world in which you live in today is evil. Right? But I, I, I fear that at some point in time, we as Christians use that reality to just simply fall by the wayside and say, there's no purpose in me trying because it's going to be awful hard to bear fruit because the world is so evil. That's a fallacy, folks. You know what that book tells us? That book tells us that we can live godly in this present evil world. Amen. And if we use the circumstances that surround us today to inhibit us from producing fruit, it's not God's fault. It's our fault. And so tonight I I want to talk a little bit about this thought of bearing fruit and what it means to bear fruit. We know that in this parable, he gives us a glimpse of some really great things. Now, it's not in every parable that Jesus Christ gives them exactly what they need to know to interpret what he's saying. Is that fair? A lot of times he spoke to the disciples in parables and they kind of just left the conversation scratching their heads. Amen. They didn't really quite know what he meant by what he said. You know that for a fact because he tells them blatantly, hey, listen, I'm going to get killed. I'm going to get turned into the hands of Romans and I'm going to rise again the third day. And listen, it wasn't until after the resurrection they're like, oh, yeah, I remember him told me that. (laughs) Right. And so in this parable, he takes the time and he gives them the interpretation immediately. If you'll notice in the following verse of where we just ended, the disciples say kind of like, Lord, what in the world do you mean by that? Just kind of updated the vernacular there. (laughs) Right? What in the world are you talking about? And then Jesus proceeds to give them a discourse that explains to them exactly what the wayside is, exactly what the stony ground is, exactly what the thorns are. And he tells them exactly what they need to know. And me, I'm kind of a simpleton. There's a lot of details in this passage. You can find some millennial stuff. You can find some second advent things. There's a bunch of doctrinal implications to this passage that you could dive into and and really hurt your brain and everything else. But I'm kind of a simpleton and I like to take the passages sometime and just try to stew them down into really practical, simple things that I I can digest and maybe apply to my life, right? And by way of introduction to this, listen, if you want fruit, you have to understand that you can't bear fruit if there's nothing growing. Is that fair to say? You can't bear fruit if there's nothing growing. And so this passage shows us how to grow some things. This passage doesn't necessarily give us the key uh, to, to bearing fruit, but it tells us at least how to get some seed in the ground. Which, practically, there's three rules that I find in the passage here, and I would say from the entire passage, because you have the parable of the sower, then you have the parable of the, uh, of the tares and the wheat, and then you have the parable of the mustard seed that wraps up the chapter. And I say in Matthew chapter 13, it gives us three simple, practical rules for growing. Rule number one, if you're taking notes, it's that be careful where you sow. Be careful where you sow. Listen, he told them exactly what the wayside was. He told them exactly what the stony places and the thorny places were. Why did he tell them that? So they were aware of where to cast their seed. Amen? Hey, listen, folks. You have to understand, you can only be taught and only be told and only be poked and only be prodded so many times before you realize you just got to quit throwing seed on ground that's no good. Amen? Amen. You know what is good ground tonight and what's not. If you've been in church for any length of time, especially if you've been in this church for any length of time, listen, you don't need me to preach you a sermon on what bad ground is. You know what bad ground is. Your pastors told you what bad ground is. Your parents have told you what bad ground is. Listen, everyone that you listen to has told you and preached to you and expounded the Word of God. You know what's good and you know what's not good. Amen. Listen, I'm I'm not meddling here tonight, but I'm giving you an example. How many times do you have to be told that social media is not a good place for you to spend your time before you realize, I'm just going to stop sowing my seed there? I worked with a guy one time over in Indiana. And uh, 
I was trying to witness to him. He's an older man. He worked for Redmond Fox over in Indiana. Redmond Fox, a massive grain producer. Anything to do agriculturally, grain, uh, anhydrous pneumonia, all that stuff. They're the supplier. They, they handle all those Indiana farmers. Massive, massive operation. He worked for them. And we were working at Lincare Auction at the time. And uh, me and him were talking back and forth one day. And I was witnessing to him. And he says, yeah, I know a little bit about Christians. He's real, real, just a rough guy, you know, rough farmer guy. And, um, you know, we were talking about farming stories, and I kind of gained a rapport with him. But the minute I brought the Lord into the conversation, he got real defensive. He got real abrasive, got real distant. And he says, I know a lot about Christians. He says, every farmer in this stinking county is a Christian. He says, you know what I watch them farmers do? He says, they buy up bad land. And then they sow it with all their seed, and they know it's bad land. And the only reason they sow it is because they know they'll take a crop insurance policy out on it, and the government will write them a check at the end of the year for it. He says, that's fraud. But they love Jesus, do they? You know what? Hard to argue with that, isn't it? How many times have you been told what good ground is and what bad ground is? And then you spend all your time sowing seeds on the bad ground. Social media is bad ground, folks. Some of those folks you hang around with, guess what? It's bad ground. Some of the places you go, bad ground. Some of the influences in your life, the time you spend in front of your television, the time you spend in front of the news, the time you spend on your phone just doing nothing, the time you spend meddling other people's matters, what is it? It's bad ground. You sow your seed anyway? Just because you know you got crop insurance? Hey, listen, you ain't fooling anybody. You ain't fooling anybody. You want to know a principle for growing, a rule for growing? You better be careful where you sow. Hey, listen, the wayside was never meant to be sown on. It was hard, compacted area that typically if you had the seed on the back of a wagon or something and you rolled that thing over, that seed would fall out and it would scatter down the roadside and that thing is compacted. It's been just driving on and walking on and there's gravel and everything else. And it's never, it was never intended for seed to be grown on it. And so it just sits on top and it can't get down to the earth. And it just gets burnt up. And stony ground is bad. That's, it's just, the wayside is just bad places. You know bad places. And then the stony ground is bad people. And they burn you out. And, they, and, and, there's, no, and there's no deepness to your relationship. It's all surface level. It's all carnal. You got no real fellowship with them. Amen. It's just all it's just all surface stuff. You got all these superficial relationships and you call them friends and you call them co-workers, but you spend way too much time with them. You know it's wrong. And he says thorns. You know what that is? That's just simply this. Bad passions. The cares of this life. Deceitfulness of riches. Things that I want. Things I desire. You know exactly what's right. You know exactly what's wrong. You know what the problem with us is? It's not that we don't know. It's that we do know and we sow anyway. Amen? He says, be careful where you sow. Not only that. Not only that. But be careful what you pick to go. That's the, uh, that's the parable of the uh, tares and the wheat. In the parable of the tares and the wheat, he says he goes out there and there's the servants. They go out in the field. They come back to the husband and they say, hey, listen, somebody's come in and they've shown, do you know you got tares all in your wheat? I'll say this. They had the right attitude. They were actually looking for things. They were probably out there picking weeds and stuff. And they're like, oh, snap, I see some tares out here. How in the world do they get here? They were trying to do right. They were trying to pull what's right and what's wrong and out of there. And then he says, listen, man, you need to hold off a second. We need to properly identify what it is you're pulling. Right? Properly identify what you're pulling. Sometimes, listen, folks, you're going to have to realize if you're going to grow, you need to be careful. You just can't rip everything out of your life. Okay? There's some things that you should not meddle with. And I'm not talking about bad things. Sometimes, especially in our crowd, we have, we have two polar opposites. We have those that see no fault in themselves, and then we have those that all they see is fault in themselves. 
And they're so self-deprecating and so self-loathing that they can't get anywhere with the Lord. Hey, listen, they had to identify what was right, what was wrong. When you take a look at your life, you have to identify whether it's you or whether it's somebody else. The tares were not sown by them. The tares were not there naturally. The tares were there that were done vindictively and out of their control and that was put there by the enemy to mess up their field. Okay? And so listen, when you start to analyze yourself and you start to get the attitude of, I want to start getting some things right in my life. I want to make sure that I'm growing some things. Okay, well, when it comes to pulling weeds and taking things out of your life, let me just give you some some, uh, encouragement. Identify whether it's you that caused it or whether it was somebody else. Is it a sin that you committed? Was it a mishap that uh, that you did, that you decided to do? Okay, if that's the case, rip that thing out there. Rectify it. Identify it, then rectify it. Get it right. How do you get it right? Get it under the blood. Pull it out. Get it under the blood. I offended somebody. I said something stupid. Okay, well, that was on me. I'm going to go to that person. I'm going to grab that thing by the roots and rip it out. But if it ain't your fault and it's something that's outside of your control, you know what that book tells you to do? You better leave it alone because the more you mess with it, Verse 26 in that same chapter tells you you're going to destroy the fruit that you currently have. And then verse 30 tells you you're going to destroy the fruit that could have been. You didn't choose your family. And you can't control what people say about you all the time. Amen. You can't control how your family treats you for the decisions you make between you and God. Okay, so if that's the case, then leave it alone. Quit messing with it. Quit thinking about it. Quit letting it disturb you in the night. Quit, listen, I don't care what your circumstances are. They're just circumstances. Did you cause the circumstance or is it something outside of your control? If it's something outside of your control, you better leave it alone. If not, you're just going to be a stinking soup sandwich your whole life and you're not going to mount to a hill of beans and you ain't going to bear any fruit. The last thing is, is the mustard seed. The mustard seed, he says... Listen, remember that whatever you plant is going to (laughs) grow. Amen? He says, look at, consider how small this seed is. It's the smallest of all the seeds. He says, and when you plant that thing on good ground, that thing can grow up to be a great tree, and all the birds of the air can fly in it and have shelter in this thing. And what wonderful things God can do, and what wonderful things and wonderful fruit God can bear with just something really small that's planted. Amen? We have to remember if this conquest to bear fruit, these are just some simple rules that we see at the front side of this passage, right? And he's saying, remember that what you plant will grow. Don't neglect the small things. Pastor alluded to it this morning. Listen, don't just take for granted coming to church is a big deal. Being here is a big deal. Praying, listen folks, praying's a big deal. It's not a small thing. It's a big deal. Do you really want to be a part of a church that doesn't pray for each other? Suppose you walked in the door tonight and the first announcement was, guess what, we just found out that nobody in this church prays for anybody in this church. Would you want to be here? I'd have some second thoughts. Right? I, I, I Listen, when, when something good happens in my life or something, the Lord does something with me, I just assume somebody that's more spiritual than I am is praying for me. I can't tell you the amount of encouragement that I get when I get a text message from somebody and they say, hey, brother, I just want to let you know I'm praying for you. Say it's something small. Man, it's something big. It's something big. We don't realize sometimes it's just a word fitly spoken. Sometimes it's just a word of appreciation. Hey, I appreciate you doing that. I appreciate you singing that special. Hey, listen, I just appreciate you always being here. Somebody's gone on vacation, they come back. You know what? It really did bless my heart when when I came back and I seemed like I was gone forever. And folks said, hey, listen, we're really glad you're home. Made me feel good. I appreciate that. Right? It's not a little thing. We think, oh, it's not a big deal. 
See, the problem is, is you're, you want the tree, <laughs> right? That all the birds are laying eggs in and all this different stuff. No, it just starts with sowing a little seed. And then the Lord brings those things along. You know, there's a kid in high school. His name was Jeff Esslinger. He was a German exchange student. He came to school and uh, he just, he was, uh, you know, he's just kind of a happy-go-lucky guy. And I was sitting there. We were at musical practice and it, we had, it was probably six, seven o'clock. It was after school and everybody was leaving and he was waiting for his ride and nobody came. And I said, hey, you need a ride back to your house? He says, yeah, I do. And so I gave him a ride back to his house. On that way back to that house, you know, I started talking to Jeff about his soul and started talking to Jeff about the Lord Jesus Christ. And before we got into his driveway, you know what Jeff did? He asked the Lord Jesus Christ to save him. Amen. You say, what was that? Was that a big thing? No, I just offered him a ride home. Just a small little thing. Turned into a pretty big thing. I got a text message the other day. My mom sent it to me. You know, back when I was 13 years old and my dad passed away, there was a young man I grew up with. He was, a lot, he was probably five or six years younger than I was. He was just a little kid. We're riding bikes around. He was kind of like the little kid. You're like, I'll oh, just get out of here, man. You're a little punk kid, right? You know, that little kid invited me to church when I was 13 years old. I got a text message the other day. My mom, he died. He died a few weeks ago. And I don't ever think he ever, he never really panned out in church very much. He never really did too much. He wasn't a pastor, wasn't a preacher, never turned into something great. He ended up settling up in Vermont somewhere, had a family, had a couple kids. His brother, somebody who was a little closer to my age when I was growing up, and he was in and out of jail, and his mom was a mess. His parents were divorced, did the best he could. And I saw the obituary. Didn't say nothing about the Lord in there, nothing like that. But I thought to myself, man, just one day that kid invited me to church. If that's the only thing that guy ever did, he just threw a mustard seed out. You know? You say, oh, you think you're a big tree. No, man, just think about it for what it is. He just chucked a little, hey, you want to come to church? And I was so busted up inside after losing my dad. I appeased this little kid, and I said, yeah, I'll go to church. And I heard the gospel. I ended up getting saved. Amen. And God started changing my life. Amen. Amen? God started changing my life. You say, what happens? You don't just chuck the mustard seed in the ground and the tree appears. Right? And that's why I say that this passage doesn't exactly tell us the key to bearing fruit. It just merely gives us some advice for the process of growing. The key to bearing fruit is actually found in Luke chapter number 8. Turn there if you will. Luke chapter number 8. As I was studying through this passage, that's why I love my Bible. Because we have this thing called the the harmony of the Gospels. And sometimes the Bible gives light on itself and it has the same account, but it's told from a different viewpoint. And there's different bits of information in each one of these Gospels. And as the parable of the sower is presented in Matthew chapter number 13, it's presented again in Luke chapter number 8. But there is a very, very precious key that is revealed at the end of this parable in Luke chapter 8. Look at what it says in Luke chapter number 15, or excuse me, Luke chapter number 8 and verse number 15 when it comes to bearing fruit. He says here, But that on good ground are they which in honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it, and bringeth forth fruit. Here's the nugget. With patience. With patience. You see, you don't just sow the seed and then it pops up. See, what you can do is that you could say, man, I've been careful where I've sown. 
Hey, listen, I have identified what's me and I've tried to pull those weeds out and I've tried to leave those other things alone that I can't control. And I've tried to be really diligent on making sure that I sow even those little things in my life. And you can sit back and say, I've done that and I've done that and I've done that. And you can sit back and get frustrated and say, where's the fruit? And the nugget and the key is in Luke chapter 15. He says that they bear fruit with patience. See, the key to growing fruit isn't just getting it in the ground. It's now you got to wait. <laughs> yeah, now you got to wait. It takes time. How much time? An undisclosed amount of time. He never tells you how long. He just says, with patience. A couple things about patience and then we'll be done tonight. Because after all, I know looking in my life, what Pastor was talking about this morning, you could sit back and you say, man, Lord, I remember where I was over here and I see where I am now. But then you sit there and you, and you listen and you pray and you seek the Lord and the Lord says, hey, we still got to grow. There's still some growing to do. There's still, hey, listen, I still want you to bear some fruit. There's some hundred, there's some sixty, there's some, there's some thirty. How much do you want? There's three elements to patience. I don't like any of them. I am a, I, listen, I would never be accused of being the most patient man on the face of the planet. No one would ever look at Joe and say, man, he's like the poster child for patience. No one's going to say that, especially Hannah. <laughs> they were at our house last night playing, some, uh, playing a board game or something like that. And, and uh, 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 Hannah said uh, she was making a sarcastic statement to me. And she says, yeah, next time you preach, you should preach on patience. And I said, well, wait till you hear what I'm preaching on. <laughs> <laughs> right? Patience, the first thing patience is made up of is time. Time. <laughs> That's it. How much time? Oh, I don't know. However much time God thinks it takes. You say, Why is the pro what's the problem with time? Because the world <laughs> trying to get you to speed everything up. Don't you think it's funny that young people, they think time is moving so slow, and so they're doing everything they can to speed it up. And then when you get older, you say, time is moving so fast, and you're trying to figure out how to slow it down. Amen. Do you ever think that maybe the Lord's got something innately and by nature in all of us to show us how we should be reacting based on where we're at? See, it's funny with, with young people, they, uh, they say, man, time's moving so slow. And so you know what the devil does? He puts a, a fire underneath them. Hurry up and grow up. Hurry up and grow up. Hurry up and grow up. Don't you know you have to figure out what you're going to do with your life? Don't you know you got to pick, up, you pick your career? Hey, uh, don't you know? Hey, listen, you better find yourself a husband. You don't want to be an old maid, you know, be like 30 years old. Don't have a husband. Don't have a, uh, a family. You know, you don't want to be that person. Oh, make sure you find yourself a wife. There's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure on you finding a wife. I had a phone call the other day. My son, he's real, real spiritual. He's really doing everything he can to find himself a good, godly wife. Since he was 16. Okay. Why is there so much pressure on him to do that? How come, how come there's pressure on kids that aren't even old enough to vote to have a political opinion? Why is there pressure on them to have, a, have an opinion about some kind of social thing? Whatever happened to letting them be kids? Because the devil doesn't want them to slow down. And the older ones, time's moving so fast. And so it's time to take our foot off the gas. It's time to try to get life to slow down again. 
Right? It's like, oh, now i got to make sure. I mean, I see time's moving so fast. And, you know, I've been, I've been just kind of doing this. And, and, and I feel like I'm wasting time. And, and i just got to figure out how to slow life down. So, you know, I'm gonna, maybe it's time for me to buy that bass boat, you know. And it's time for me to, you know, spend some time on in the lake. And, you know, I, I mean, i really got to make sure I spend some more time with my grandkids. And so I'm going to make sure that every weekend we're going to be going somewhere and doing something and with the family. And You see that? When God says, hey, listen, man, you've already learned your lesson. The reason why you're feeling that there's not much time left is because guess what? There's not much time left. It's not time to slow down. It's time to put your foot to the stinking floor and go. You got, some, you got a little wisdom now. You got some experience now. And you think it's time to now pull back from the ministry to the church because you got to spend more time doing something in the world. Sorry, was that a little too close to the cotton? Sorry. Listen, Samson in Joshua, excuse me, Judges, chapter number 13, the last verse says that the Lord had begun to speak to Joshua. Because he was a Nazarite and he had started this thing. And the Lord was just starting to talk to him. Just starting to speak to him. Just starting to move on him. You know what chapter 14 starts with? All of a sudden the devil's like, hey, over here. (laughs) Over here. Samson, over here. Don't you need a wife? Yeah, I reckon I do. (laughs) And he's down there looking for carnal things. Hey, young people, you better be careful. There's a reason time feels slow right now, and it's because it's supposed to. And every attempt you take to speed it up will mean that you're making a decision based on pressure that's outside. It's demonic pressure, and you never make good decisions under pressure. Right? You don't make make life-altering decisions in chaos if you don't have to. And then you got the king over there in Matthew 22, Luke chapter, what is it, 16, somewhere around, Luke 16 or Luke 14, somewhere around there. The king says, hey, I'm going to have a marriage feast for my son. And so he goes to his servants and he says, hey, servants, why don't you come to the marriage supper of my son? And don't you think, you don't, man, if you were a servant of a king, don't you think you'd be like, yes, Lord, I'll go. I'm used to, you know, eating whatever servants eat, and maybe they're not, maybe they're treated well and everything else, but it sure ain't what the king's table's like. You know what those servants do? Those servants say, oh, man, Lord, I got, I just bought me a piece of ground, and Man, I used, to, I used to do all that stuff when I was young. This is a young man's game, Lord. Why don't you call the young men up there to the, to the marriage supper? Why don't you let the young people just take care of all that stuff now, all that working in the church stuff and all that, you know, doing things around here and really getting involved and getting the excitement. Why don't, That's a young man's game, King. I'm going to go tend to my ground. I'm going to go tend to my farm. I'm going to go tend to my family. Just got me a wife. You need to make sure I tend to the family. After all, I, my legacy is more important. What? Excuse me? I'm sorry. What did you say? What legacy? I'm in these stupid big business meetings and junk like that, and all these big rich people around here, and I know them. And they get up there and they give these talks and they say, the most important thing is my legacy. To who? You fool. What shall I profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Only what's done for Christ is going to last. And so you know what they do? The Bible says, and they made light of it. Just like Pastor was saying this morning. No enthusiasm. There's no more, here I am, Lord, send me. Send me. I know there's a line, but I cut because I wanted you to send me. No, it's, that's a young man's game. 
I did that when I was younger. I, yeah, oh, if I had a stinking dollar for every time some older person, and I'm not going to say old people, I'm going to say older person because it, it's, it's a bigger, you know, shooting radius, right? And so, and so every time an older person says, I used to, oh, I used to be like that. As if that's a sign of your maturity. What, you used to go to the altar? Well, you used to say amen. You used to pass out tracts. You used to go street preaching. You used to, you used to, you used to. Why are you slowing down? The Bible says redeeming the time because the days are evil. Listen, folks, patience, you know what it's going to take? It's going to take time. It's going to take time. You know what else it speaks to? Oh, you know that I want to say one, one more thing about time here. As you see, as the devil starts to throw these things up at you, you know what it is? It's competing with the time that you do, do things for the Lord. It's not that you're idle necessarily, but some of us are. But it's that your time is wrapped up in things that don't matter. So it's, it's that you're not spending enough time doing the things that God would have you to do. You're spending all your time doing the things the world tells you you should be doing. And so you're not spending the amount of time with God that you should be spending. Because they're, at, hey, listen, He's at war with your time. Not only that, first part of patience is time, second part of patience, routine. Because guess what? If you just put a seed in the ground, and you just leave it there for a long time, you ain't going to get no fruit on that plant. <laughs> it takes work. You can't just be idle and wait time. There's been plenty of Christians that have been saved for 60 years. I wouldn't follow 10 feet. Why? Because their time hasn't been well spent. There's never been a routine in their life of doing something for God and getting up and doing the things that it takes to stay close to the Lord and tend to that plant and get out there and pull those weeds and spend the time that it takes to nurture that plant and water that plant and prune that plant and do everything that it requires for that thing to be healthy. They've never done that. They've always said, pamper me. It's about me. Serve me. Look at me. We all get that way a little bit sometimes. What about me? And the Lord says, what's your routine like? You know, it's funny. In Isaiah chapter 5, he tells you of a couple different vineyards. You know that? Isaiah chapter 5, he plants a vineyard. He takes all the stones out, puts it on a fruitful hill, right? And then he, sets a, he, he plants it with a choicest vine. And then he puts, a, he puts a fence around it. He puts a tower in it. He protects it. Right? And he says, this is, my, this is the nation of Israel. This is the apple of my eye. And the Bible says that when he sat back to look, that it bring forth grapes. It brought forth wild grapes. Why in the world it bring forth wild grapes? Is it Proverbs 26? He speaks about another vineyard. And he says, here's this vineyard. And the wall is broken down. And it's all grown over with nettles and briars. It's good for nothing. Why in the world is that vineyard like that? You want to know why? Because nobody took the time to routinely maintain it. Because keeping a vineyard, it takes some work, man. Running a farm takes some work. I know a little bit about it. I know you're sick of hearing it, but... I was raised on a dairy farm in upstate New York. <laughs> Some of you don't even understand when I say that. It goes way over your head because you've already put it in a little box. You think you know what it means. You have no idea what it means. That means I was up at 4 o'clock in the morning milking cows before I went to school. Anybody in here do that? I know what I'm talking about. And then you have to be home by 5, 5.30 because you got to go milk cows again. And then summer vacation comes. And the kids and your friends want to go out and do it and hang out. It's like, oh, I can't. I kind of got to go milk cows. And it's a beautiful day out. They're like, hey, well, after chores, you want to come meet up? It's like, oh, sorry. It's the only dry day we've had in a long time. And we got to get the hay raked. 
And then, it, and, then it, and then you get the hay raked, and then it's a few weeks later, like, man, it's supposed to be great on Saturday. Don't you want to come and, uh, and do this? It's like, oh, sorry, now we got to bail it. And then a few more weeks go by, and they go, hey, it's a really nice Saturday. You want to come? It's like, sorry, we got to get it out of the field. we got to get it all in the hay mow now. Right? Routine. Routine. We underestimate the value of routine maintenance. Listen, folks, sometimes we think, oh, it's just reading my Bible. It's just praying. It's just witnessing. It's just coming to church. No, 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 no. That's what keeps the weeds out. That's what keeps the plants healthy. That's what keeps everything pruned up the way it's supposed to be so that it doesn't bring forth wild grapes. But sometimes we downplay the routine. We don't see the value in it. We don't see the need for it. And that's too bad. Because man, we need routine in our life. I know I do. Listen, it, it's, it's hard. It's real hard. It's painstaking labor. But you want to know something? A routine, it does something for you. It does. Yeah, it keeps you grounded. You think the world's flying by and you're just watching it. You know, you're sitting there, time's flying by. And you know what? You're just sitting out there going, well, I can't have any dreams because... I'm tied to this stinking vineyard. Morning and night, every night, tied to this vineyard. I got goals and aspirations, and I think I can conquer the world. And the husbandman just keep me bound here. My dad just keep me bound here. The world's flying by. All the things I'm missing out on. Friends are going and doing things and experiencing things and I didn't get to experience them. They're talking about things. They got inside jokes and I'm not a part of them. Everybody's around the table at work and you're always the odd man out because you can't partake in their conversation. I just love to be one of the guys. Right? That routine, man, it grounds you. Keeps you grounded. See, so that's cruel. How could you ground your young people? How could you limit, how could you limit uh, the, 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 uh, the lengths of their success? That's the world sending commercials in your eyes saying, hey, you can be whatever you want to be. Just think and it shall be. Manifest it into being. Right? But it's going to cost you. It'll cost you relationships. Hey, sorry i got to go to church on Sunday. But there's a family reunion. Yeah, but it's on a Sunday. And in case you didn't know, I go to church on Sunday. Well, come to my church. No, I'm sorry. Time out from the game. Let me rephrase this. I go to my church on Sunday. Well, you're awful narrow-minded. Where's your fruit? How's your routine? Amen? Amen? I didn't say this was going to be fun. Because routines aren't supposed to be fun. You've heard the illustration before. What's the number one killer of Christians? Routine duty. I'm sick of it. It's mundane. It's boring. Life is supposed to be, you know, spicy. Life's supposed to be entertaining. Don't you know I need to be entertained? Don't you know that I need to be the, I need to be the center of attention? No, you need to be in the cow barn with the little calves trying to get them to come off of a bottle onto a bucket. What were you doing at 5.30 this morning? I was scraping manure out from the calves and feeding them with a bottle. Why? Because that's where I'm supposed to be. Amen. Well, that's not glamorous work. Nope, it's not. It kind of stinks, doesn't it? Yep, it does. But y'all like milk, don't you? Amen. <laughs> Amen. Y'all like milk. You see, we like the tree. See what we're talking about? We like the tree. But don't you know that there's a whole lot that goes from seed to tree? 
Routine's a big deal. How's your routine? Do you have a routine? You just, you just, now listen, do you just let the day happen? I'm just going to take it as it comes, you know? It's kind of like roll with the punches. <laughs> listen, your day is like money. Time is like money. You're either going to tell money what to do, or money is going to tell you what to do. And so you either tell time what it's going to do, or time's going to tell you what to do. And if you don't tell time where to go and what to do and when to be, then guess what? It's going to find a place where to go. And then by by the end of the day, you're like, where did the day go? It's because you don't have a routine. You're not settled. Your house is in shambles. Your routine is non-existent. You have, you have, you have nothing uh, solidified. Your family's in flux. You're in flux. Your job's in flux. And we just live in this sporadic world. And it's like the devil's got us in a spin cycle. And it's like, what's going on? You've got to stop. And get grounded. A routine is good for you. And you've got to have the Lord Jesus Christ at the center of that routine. How many times you missed your Bible reading? How many times you didn't spend any time in prayer except for over your food? You know what? I, I get ashamed. I got to hurry up. I get ashamed when I think about my forefathers who didn't even have a completed Bible like everyone in here has got in their laps. And I say, I was so busy I didn't read my Bible today. And you're thinking about people that were in prison and all they had was what they could remember. And they didn't have a copy like you got it. And they were more spiritual than you. And they were more spiritual than me. How in the world? We can listen to it. We can read it. We can take it wherever we want. You've got one in every room of your house. Most of you in here, you got enough space in your house. You got a closet you can crawl into. You got plenty of time to pray. But no time to pray. No routine. Folks, maybe you're good at routine when it comes to your job, but you stink at routine when it comes to your spiritual life. How come? You want fruit? You want fruit? How's your spiritual routine? How's your spiritual routine? I'm not trying to be unnecessarily hard tonight. But listen, there's one more element to patience. And... If, if you know anything about chemicals and stuff like that, like in my world, we have to spray chemicals. And it'll give you a list of ingredients, right? And it'll have all these ingredients. And then it'll say in big letters, the active ingredient. This is the ingredient that if it wasn't in here, it would not, this thing would not do what we want it to do, right? This is the active ingredient. And so uh, the active ingredient for patience is trouble. <laughs> Amen? Because listen, when it comes to patience, your time and routine is tested by trouble. I wish it wasn't so. But that's the way it is. There's nothing that will reveal how much time you're spending with God and how good your spiritual routine is than when trouble pops up. Because when we say that trouble is the active ingredient of patience, you have to understand that patience isn't patience unless it's tested. Because trouble isn't just the fact that you got through the trouble. It alludes to the attitude you had while you were going through it. You understand? You can go through trouble and have no patience. And you're going kicking and screaming and barking and yelling and stinking, ripping everybody to shreds around you, just a miserable person. And I'm not looking at my wife right now for a certain particular reason. And I'm telling you right now, you can go through those things and you can have no patience. And, it, and guess what? It doesn't do you any good. It does you no good. There's a verse I want to read you. I have it written down. And I think it's, uh, it, it bears reading here. It's, uh, <coughs> excuse me. In James chapter 1, verse 4, it says, But let patience have her perfect work, that she may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Wanting nothing. Listen, folks. 
I know some of you, you're going through the thick of it. Pastor has said it the last few times he's preached. He alluded to it this morning. How's your attitude? How's your attitude? Because can I tell you this? One of the seven things that he told you back in 2 Peter that you needed to add to your faith in order for you to never be unfruitful, smack dab in the middle of that thing, you know what it is? It's patience. It's patience. You have patience with yourself. You have patience with other people. You have patience with your kids. You have patience with your husband. You have patience with your wife. You have patience in the hard times that you're going through right now. Well, I can't, I, I don't know how long this is going to last. You're not supposed to know. That's a part of the hardship of trouble, is that the end, there is no secured uh, a period of time that tells you when it's going to end. You mean that could be like this forever? Yeah, it could be like this forever. Are you okay with that? No, I'm not okay with that. Why not? You want to know why it's so important to go through trouble to test your patience? Because trouble is 100% against your flesh. You know what patience reveals? Just how much you love yourself. That's what patience reveals. And if you ain't got no patience, you know what? You must think an awful lot about yourself. I think about that, you know, when I'm in traffic. I was going down to Florida. I was assigned the topic of patience to preach in Jacksonville when I went down there a few weeks ago. And I thought to myself, thank God I'm not flying. Like, <laughs> I was like, my plane would have crashed or something like that. I'd have been the only survivor floating out on a buoy somewhere. Like, that would have been my test of patience if I flew. But no, I, I get down and I'm like, I'll take the scenic route. I'll go down 77, man. I'll pay the tolls. Well, kind of, I forgot where the toll thing is at, so we'll probably get a fine for that here in a little bit. But either way, I go down through 77, you know, West Virginia, and take the scenic route and all this different stuff. And I get to South Carolina and it's bumper to bumper traffic. Everybody decided to go to Florida the last week of July. And it's bumper to bumper traffic from South Carolina all the way to Florida. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm dying inside. I'm dying. My, my, my flesh is crawling. I'm just like, ah! I'm just, uh, <laughs> there's no amount of prayer. There's no amount of nothing. The Lord sits down next to me in my car. He says, hey, how's it going? I'm like, I don't want to talk right now. <laughs> I'm in traffic. I hate traffic. I'm from the country. We didn't have traffic growing up. We had one red light, and we were mad about that. And it flashed. It wasn't even a solid red light. We we're like, man, the stupid light's always flashing. I got to wait and pause and yield. <laughs> like, we had a stop sign in the, on the road. It was a four corners. And it was a big wide open four corners. There's this big old hill that come down like this. And then you'd go straight through that. My house was over here. We'd be going 60 miles an hour at night. Don't do this. This is stupid, right? You go 60 miles an hour at night. You're like, I wonder if anybody's coming down that other road. So you cut your lights off. So you can see if somebody's coming the other way, you're like, oh, no headlights, bumping back on, downshifted, hit through that stop sign 70 miles an hour. Why? Because I don't like stopping. That's why. And the Lord's like, you know, you're preaching on patience. I'm like, yeah, I am preaching on patience, and I'm going to have to have some because it's going to take forever to get to Jacksonville. And so I'm sitting there thinking, he says, you know, it's not just that you're waiting, and it's not just, you know, that you're going and doing something, you're right. It's, it's how you're responding to this traffic jam that I would like to talk to you about. I was like, proceed. <laughs> and it was like, you know, even if you get down there three hours later than you thought you were going to, you're still going to get there, right? Yeah. You're still going to get a chance to be a part of this camp, see some kids get some help, yep. So get a chance to get some fellowship, yep. So get a chance to learn some things and bring some things back, help with our camp, yep. So why are you so upset? It's like Jonah. Do us how well to be angry? 
Shouldn't have. Yes, Lord. Okay, well, then I'll take the gourd away that you thought you had some relief. <laughs> Rot that gourd away then. <laughs> right? Folks, how we respond to trouble shows us how much patience we have. We want to bear fruit, don't we? Here's Naboth. He's got a vineyard, and I'll be done. Naboth's got a vineyard. I've thought I've preached on this passage lots of times, and I've just been thinking about it lately. He's a young boy, and his dad says, Hey, time to get up. Time to go prune the vineyard. Time to go out there, get, in the, get, in the, get our knees in the dirt. Let's go. Come on, let's go. And he gets out there, and he's in there, and he says, Man, my daddy's making me out here doing all this stuff and everything else, and I'm so sick of this. Get out here and do it. Get out here and do it. And he gets in that routine and doing it, and he's sitting out in the fields like, oh, man, I kind of wanted to be a mechanic. You know, I kind of wanted to do this, and I wanted to own a business, and I wanted to do this. And Dad says, hey, shut up, boy. we got to pick weeds. And he gets out there morning, night, morning, night, morning, night. He, you, know, you know that Naboth and his family was in Jezreel long before Ahab ever got there. And he's sitting there, and eventually his dad gets sick, can't get out in the field as much as he was there before, and he's out there, he's, he's sick, and he says, hey, I uh, can't get out there, can you go out there and do it yourself? He says, yeah, dad, I can do that. And then his workload doubles, and he's taking him twice as long to do his chores, and it did when his dad was out there helping him, but his dad's in bad health, and he's saying, you know, oh, man, I just, this is a lot of work, it's a lot of work, and he's starting to get into a routine, getting a routine, and the, and the years go by, and the years go by, and the years go by. And he didn't even know what was taking place. He just was doing what was in his lap to do, what he was told to do, what God put in his life to do. And the time goes by, and the routine continues, and eventually he has himself some sons, and they're out there working with him, and he finds himself saying the same thing his dad said to him, and getting his, dragging his kids out there, and going, Dad, I want to go. Shut up. That's what we're doing, you know. And then all of a sudden, Ahab comes and knocks on his door. He says, hey, I like your vineyard. Pretty good looking vineyard you got here. You spent a lot of time in that thing. I can tell you've been maintaining it, man. These things, I'm going to tell you, you got grapes on these things about this big, man. And they ain't wild grapes. They're good sweet grapes, man. I love that. Hey, uh, I'll give you the worth of this thing in money. Or I'll give you one better than this. And all of a sudden, all of the time, in all the little routine, something clicks in Naboth's mind. And he says, I've never been presented with this proposition before. Never even thought about it. And his mind starts to go back to all the time. And his mind starts to go back with uh, all, the, all, the, all the stuff that him and his dad and his grandfather and all the memories and all the stories and everything else. And then he realized, I have all this fruit here. He's starting to look around and he sees all the grapes and he sees all the beautiful plants and he sees how clean it is and how green it is and how lush it is, so much so that the king comes and says, I'd like to have that. Wow. You mean a vineyard that's suited for royalty? Yeah. Pretty good vineyard. And then he thinks about the proposition about two seconds. He says, far be it from me, Lord. I can't do that. I can't give that to you. I can't give it to you. And you know what he found out that day? That the product of his patience wasn't just that he produced fruit, because he did, he had lots of it. That it wasn't the fruit that meant the most to him. Because he didn't say, far be it from me, king. Far be it from me that I should give you the abundance of my fruit. He didn't say that. He said, far be it from me, king, that I should give you the inheritance of my fathers. You know what it was? It was his relationship that he had developed with his father over time. And that was so precious to him that it was worth him losing his life and his children's lives and being lied about and obscured in all of society. He says, I don't care what you do to me. I'm never going to give up that close-knit relationship that I have with my father. You say, what is that? That is the goal of the Christian life. To have fruit, yes. But the fruit that we're really after 
is that close fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ that builds so much value in us that when those things of this world come and say, hey, can I have that? We say, no heaven. That relationship, we have gone through storms. We have gone through heartache. We have spent countless years. I have spent so much time. I've got calluses on my knees. My Bible has tear stains in it. That thing is so precious to me. There is nothing that you can offer me that's worth that relationship. So I ask you tonight, folks, how's your relationship? How valuable is your vineyard today? Suppose somebody came to you and that job comes and says, hey, the job is yours. job is yours. Going to have to move, going to have to miss all this church, going to have to do all this different stuff. What are you going to do? How valuable is it to you? That special somebody that you think is the only one in the world says, hey, come on. Let's have this relationship. Let's, let's, let's go out. Let's have a good time. Sorry. That would hurt my vineyard. That would, that would, what I have is too valuable for me to give to you. Church, how valuable is our vineyard here? How much time do we spend? How's your routine? I know some of you are going through some troubles tonight, right? But would you be willing to say, you know what, Lord, thank you for the trouble because I see there's some things in myself that I need to work on because, Lord, yeah, I want to bear fruit, but, Lord, I really want to make sure that I have that relationship that Naboth had. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for being good to us tonight. God, I want to thank you for the word of God and the illustration that gives us about this biblical truth that Christians should bear fruit. Father, help us, Lord, not to be barren. Help us to not be just leaves. God, help us. Lord, to be sincere. As Pastor preached this morning, help us, Lord God, to be enthusiastic, Lord Jesus. Help us to be enthusiastic about what it is you're doing in our lives. Father, help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves, honest with you of where we're at. Maybe there's some vineyards in here tonight, Lord, they're covered in nettles, they're covered in briars. Father, I pray that you'd help us to get in there, Lord, and put the sweat equity in. Get it cleaned out. Some of us, we've messed up, God. We've been idle. We've allowed too much time to go by. Father, would you help us? Would you help us, Lord? Father, maybe, Lord, some of us in here, Lord, we've, we've spent too much time on ourselves. Well, maybe we've been looking at the vineyard of other people too much, God. I pray you'd help us to keep our eyes on our own field. You say, Lord, we haven't had the best routine. God, help us to get that routine. Help us to spend the time that we need in our Bible, Lord, our time on our knees. The time in church, it's not a small thing. Let's just pray for a little bit. I think there's a level of sincerity that we have to present to the Lord. Sincerity and honesty. Lord, I... Be honest with you, my vineyard is just a mess. Would you help me? do something a little different tonight. We won't be in a hurry. We'll just let these that are here pray. We won't sing. We'll just let them pray.
I know it seems like it's taken forever for some of these things to come to pass, but can I just tell you, you're not missing a thing tonight. If you're in church, you're reading your Bible, you're doing the best you can, you're not missing a thing. Life is not passing you by. I'm telling you, it's time well spent. It is time well spent. And you may not see the fruit down here, but I, I assure you, you will see the fruit someday. Well, it's going to take some patience. It's going to take some patience. Father, I want to thank you for tonight, Lord. I want to thank you, Lord, for all that have come out. Father, I ask, Lord, that you'd please help us, Lord. There's been some time in prayer that's been spent. God, I ask, Lord, that you'd hear those prayers. You'd help them. God, I know I need help in this matter, this subject, Lord. It's not one that I feel like I've overcome or conquered by any means. But, Lord, it is a biblical truth, Father, that if we're going to bear fruit, the only way we bear fruit is through patience. So I pray you'd help our church, Lord, to be not idle, be busy, but also, Lord, be patient and allow you to do the work, Lord, that that mustard seed may turn into a tree that you can use for whatever purpose you see fit. We thank you tonight. Pray you'd bless the congregation, and I pray, God, that you'd help us come back in the next appointed time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor, you want to say anything? All right, we're dismissed. Amen.